Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. For the, for the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming Quickly. I am coming soon. Amen. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. That's the end of the book of Revelation. When we were first married, we received an invitation to a wedding. And where we were living, it became quickly rumored in the community. You remember the wedding. It became, the rumor was spreading, this is the social event of the year. If you're, you're going to be at the social event of the year if you received an invitation to this wedding. And sure enough, it was. Man, it was, uh, it was pretty... Something. I mean, it was, uh, it was a long deal, long affair. I mean, it, it was really, really something. And it pretty much was the social event of the year for that community. In fact, it may have been the social event of all time <laughs> for this community. All right? But you received an invitation. You were like, man, I'm special. Boy, we're going to be there. Receive this invitation, right? I want you to keep your finger in Revelation 22. I want you to go to Proverbs chapter 9. I want you to go in the Old Testament to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 9. In Proverbs chapter 9, there's two invitations being issued. In fact, in the first part of the book of Proverbs, we see this, we see this, uh, we see wisdom and seeking wisdom. And, uh, and, then, and then contrasted with that is this falliness. So you seek wisdom. Where, where is the, the wisdom coming? The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord, knowing Him is the beginning of wisdom. And then contrasted with that is this folliness. This just this stupidness. Folliness. So what's being contrasted here is following God. We know Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, that Christ, He, God made Him, to be our wisdom. So when you read through the book of Proverbs and you see wisdom there, don't think of just some flashy knowledge that you impress people with and you understand all the mysteries of the world. That's not what he's talking about at all. Wisdom is Christ. And so the wise one is the one who knows Christ. The wise one is the one who's following Christ. The fool is the one who has rejected Christ. And follows his own path. That's what's being set up. But in chapter 9, we see these two invitations being sent. In chapter 9, verse 1, this is what we read. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Why? Because she's about to issue an invitation. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places 
in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread, drink of the wine that I have mixed, leave your simple ways, and live, and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will steal. He will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. What's this first invitation? It's this wisdom. She's calling out. She's calling out. In essence, what's being set up here is this: is there, there are two women here. Now, don't read into this any kind of sexist thing. Don't read into this any kind of gender discrimination. Uh, discrimination. This is a metaphor. This is an analogy. It's being set up like this. There's wisdom. And when you think of that, think of Christ. There's Christ calling, issuing an invitation. Come to me and you'll live. Come to me and you'll live. Who's the simple here? Who's he calling out to? He's calling out to sinners. He's calling out to sinners. We're born into this world sinful. As we read in the book of Ephesians, dead in sins and trespasses. We're born into this world sinful. We, we, we live and function until we come to Christ in this sinfulness and dead in our sins and trespasses. And he's calling to sinners. Come. Come. Come to me and live. But then verse 13 there's another invitation that's, being, that's going forth. Verse 13 says this, The woman folly. So you have a woman wisdom, and you have a woman folly. The woman folly, she's loud. She's loud. Everybody hears her voice. Look what else she is. She's what? She's seductive. She seduces you. She's loud. She's seductive. And knows nothing. She knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town. Calling to those who pass by. You see this? The first woman, wisdom, what's she doing? Calling, calling, calling. What's the second woman? Folly. This folly who's loud, seductive, knows nothing. What's she doing? She's calling. She's calling. She's calling. And notice what, who she's calling to. The same group. Verse 16. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to, who, to him who lacks sense, she says... Stolen water is sweet. She's full of lies. She's going to turn everything upside down. What is wrong is right. This is what she does. Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he, this is the person who listens to this, but he who does not know but the dead are there. The dead are there. That her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Sheol is used of the grave, but there may be something more here because Sheol can also be used in, in understanding not just the grave, but it can be used in understanding of hell as well. You see the two invitations? There's the one woman. Who is this? It's Christ. What is Christ 
doing? He's calling. Come. Come to me and live. Come to me and have life. Here's the second woman. Folly. She's calling too. She's calling to you. And she's saying, hey, come to me. Come to me. Don't believe this stuff. Come to me. And why, you can pursue the desires of your heart. Come to me and life will be a pleasant journey for you. Come to me. But when you go to her and you enter into her house, what do you see? Not delicacies laid out for you. Not pleasantness laid out for you. Not the desires of your heart. When you go into her house, what do you see? The dead are there. Her way is death. Her way is destruction. Her way is not good. So do you see these two calls? It's, it's almost in the sense it's like two ways. Now, here's the, here's the truth. We, 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 we all of us are one or the other. There's no group that's sort of hanging out in the street going, well, let's see, uh, I don't know, this one's calling, this one's calling. I think I'm going to take the third door. There is no third door. There is no, I'm just going to rise above all of this stuff. I'm going to rise above all this spiritual stuff, and it's nonsense anyway. I mean, after all, all there really is is science. I'm going to follow the science. You want to follow science? Look where science has gotten us. What science are you going to follow, by the way? I mean, real true science is truth because it was discovering what God's created. What passes as science today is just false. It's lies. It's what this, this folly, this woman folly, when she's talking about stolen water is sweet, it's taking what is right, turning it on its head, saying what's wrong is right, and so you want to follow that? So there is no neutrality here. Jesus put it this way. You're either for me or what? You're against me. You either are born again or you're not. You're either Christian or you're not. You're either following the Lamb or you're not. And you can give all the lip service you want. And you can make people think that you've accepted the first invitation. And really your heart is full of the second And your real desire is for that second. But if people were to look at you, they would say, oh sure, this person's followed wisdom. Answered the call to wisdom. But you know deep in your heart, you haven't answered that call at all. You've been giving lip service to it. It's been calling and calling and calling. And you've put it off and put it off and put it off and gone after other things and said, well, this can't really be what it really is. And so, and you're so wrapped up in the call of folly that you've even become blinded to that fact. You've become blinded to that fact. But you see, Revelation, all that we've been through in this book, there's, the book ends with an invitation. The book ends with this grand invitation. That's where it ends. Of all that it says, you, you know, we would think, well, gee, I wish it would, you know, end with uh, sort of these footnotes there, you know, maybe, maybe an index that says, uh, this symbol means this and this symbol, no, it, it ends with this grand invitation. It's a grand invitation. And what John does is the ending of this book in Revelation, turn back to Revelation 22, he lays this invitation out in three ways. He lays it out in three ways. These very last verses of the book of Revelation. He lays this out in three ways. First, he lays out the blessing. Then he lays out the invitation. But then attached to the invitation is also a warning. There's this invitation, but there's a warning. And then he ends with this grand promise. This grand promise. It is true. It's going to happen one day. Now, if you remember, when we started the book of Revelation, and we started... And I told you, as we lay this book out, there's several ways that people have approached the book of Revelation. One way to approach the book of Revelation is to say that all of this has happened already. And that all of it, most of it, is describing the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. That's what's known as the preterist position. It's popular in some circles, popular at different times in the history of the church. 
And so that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at the book of Revelation as we open this, and we've interacted with these throughout the book. Another way to look at it is to say that it is historical. In other words, what John is describing and what he's writing about is what has unfolded in history. And there are historical events that he's talking about, but there are also future events that he's talking about. It's sort of this intermingling between what has happened, what's going to happen, and and then the future, what is ultimately going to happen. And then there was another approach to the book where you just push the whole book all the way to the future. Particularly after about chapter 4. Four, chapter 5 and you get into chapter everything's pushed, pushed to the future and so all this book is talking about is the tribulation and the end and the second coming and what's going to unfold then alright there's another approach that we talked about and that is just to see the whole book as nothing but an apocalyptic piece of literature that's just full of symbolic language describing the spiritual conflict we go through every day now I don't I, as we've gone through this I, I haven't lean towards the first one, that this is all 70 AD. I haven't leaned towards the last one at all, although there are elements of it there. But we've kind of mingled and meandered through this book, taking those middle two. Is there future events here? Absolutely. We've been in future events, starting with the second coming of Christ in chapter 19, the millennium and heaven and so forth, but also... In, in, in the pages of this book, there have been things that John has described that will one day ultimately culminate in a person called the Antichrist, the false prophet. But also, we have to see and understand as he puts this and he displays this, there are many Antichrists, John tells us, already at work. So there have been things that are going on. There are these Cycles, so to speak, they, they go, the, they, the Antichrist raise their head, they're, they're defeated, they raise their head. There's this continual process, tribulation, constantly. And Jesus is writing to these seven churches and he's saying to them, in essence, don't you bow the knee to Caesar. Rome would have been the immediate threat in the first century. Rome would have been the immediate threat. Don't you bow the knee to Caesar. Stand fast. Hold firm. Bad stuff is coming. And throughout this book, have we not seen time and time again where he will say to certain people, you know what, some of you are going to die. Some of you will lose your life for me. Some of you will die because of your testimony, because of, of your association with me. But you hold fast. You hold fast. You stand strong. You stay firm. Evil will raise its ugly head. But you need to understand, evil's not sovereign. Now, I'm no prophet. And I've told you throughout this book. And I tell you, since COVID, since we've been in COVID, COVID, we were right in the middle of the book of Revelation. And since COVID and things that have unfolded since then, I don't know that I would have seen some things in the book of Revelation without being in the midst of this. And I come away from that convinced more and more. I come away from that convinced that the book of Revelation is not just a book about the future. The book of Revelation is not a book just about the past. The book of Revelation is a clarion call to the church. You better stand up. You better stand firm. The days are growing evil. Evil is raising its ugly head. And you will get blown away. If you are not safe and secure and firm in the gospel in Christ. And you need to hang on. And you need to hold on. This book was so full of beautiful promises, wasn't it? It's so full of some ugly, ugly, ugly stuff. It's full of some beautiful characters. And central to that is the Lamb, Christ, right? It's full of some ugly characters. You remember the break there beginning in chapter 10? That break that runs all the way down through 14 and 15 and we're introduced to these characters. We're introduced to Satan, this war that's happening. What is Satan doing? He tried to kill Christ. He couldn't. So what is he doing? He's going after his people. He's continuing to do that. He's going after the church today. And he's not alone. We were introduced to the 
to the beast. We were introduced to the false prophet. What are they? They are that woman folly in Proverbs. Seducing, misleading, lying, wooing, and calling constantly. That's who they are. But then this book ends. It ends with the second coming of Christ in 19. It ends with the millennium. And we talked about the issues surrounding the millennium. The way I see it laying out, I think that what's going to happen, Christ is going to come back. Satan's bound. Satan's going to be loosed for a little bit. And then he's going to go wild one last time and Christ will destroy him forever. Throw him into the lake of fire along with all those who refuse to bow the knee to Christ. And then we got that beautiful scene. The new heaven. The new earth. What is it? It's a new heaven. It's a new earth. It's also a city. It's also this beautiful city. And what's central to that is Christ. What's the glory of it? I'm going to see Him face to face. And then this book ends. It ends with these words, beginning in verse 14. Actually, the ending, the conclusion, was all the way back in verse 6 that we looked at last week. I mentioned this last week. If the book of Revelation is written in the 90s, If it is written then, and if the book of Revelation is the last book, okay, then what we are reading are the last recorded words of our Lord. The next time we hear Him speak, we will see Him face to face. Can you imagine that? Not only if this is the last book, not only that, but this book ends with an invitation. And in one sense, the whole book is this call, this call, this invitation. And if it is the last book, then I I like to think in terms like this. Then the book opens in Genesis. The Bible opens in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we see all of this that's happening, culminating with the coming of Christ, or or the watershed event of all of history, Christ coming, dying on a cross, buried, raised the third day. And then it ends. The whole Bible ends with this invitation. It's as if God is saying... This inviting sinners, come, read this book, come to me, come to me. Well, John lays this out in three ways. Here's the first thing that he lays out, this blessedness. In verse 14, he says, blessed are those who wash their robes. King James has, who keep his commandments. King James is following uh, a variant manuscript here. In the Greek, it's, it's, it's blessed are those who are washing. It's a present participle. They are washing. They are continually washing their robes. Where does this language come from? It comes straight out of chapter 7. This washing. You look back at chapter 7. You look back at verse 9. This is what we read, if you remember going through chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude. See, seeing the church here. This great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes, peoples, languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces faces before the throne and they worship God saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever amen then one of the elders addressed me saying who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come and I said sir you know I don't have a clue but you know and this is what he said to John and he said to me these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation They have washed their robes. Washed their robes in what? They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. How in the world can you make something white in blood? Right? You get the metaphor here. You get what he's saying here, right? 
So when he says this last blessing of the book of Revelation, which by the way, I haven't pointed this out, but some people have looked at the book of Revelation based on these blessings. There's actually seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation where it says blessed. The first one is in chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed. And then you walk through this and you can see them in other places where there are these seven, what some have called the seven beatitudes of the book of Revelation. There's one here, there's one, the first one, as I said, in, in chapter uh, 1, verse 3. And this is the last one. But blessed are those who wash their robes, who are washing their robes. Why? So that they may have the right to the tree of life. They may have the right to it. Who is it that has the right to the tree of life? We've seen the tree of life. It's there in the new Jerusalem, right? Who is the tree of life? It's Christ. Who was the tree of life in the garden? It was Christ. You don't have a right to Christ unless you come to Him. Unless you come and are washed in His blood. You don't have a right to Him. I don't care how many churches you've joined. I don't care how many prayers you pray. I don't care how much money you give or how many good deeds you do. You don't have a right to the tree of life until you come to Christ. Turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in Him alone. And your robes are washed. You were washed in the blood of Christ. And so he says, so that they may have a right to the tree of life. And also notice this, and that they may enter the city by the gates. They're not climbing up the walls by some other way. They're not trying to sneak in some other way. They're not saying, maybe there's a loophole in this gospel thing. Maybe God doesn't really mean just Jesus alone. Maybe really and truly all roads lead to heaven. That's a lie. That's folly speaking. No, they come through the gates. Why the gates? Because that's the way God said come. You build a door to enter into a building, you go through the door. You don't try to kick the wall down and enter in. Unless you mean something bad, right? Keep your finger here. I want you to go to John 10. I want to show you something interesting in John 10. John chapter 10, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. This is what he says in the first part of John 10. John 10 verse 1. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door, why the door? Because that's the way you're supposed to go in and out of the sheepfold, right? But notice this. This is where it gets interesting. He who enters by the door is the shepherd. You see that? The one who comes through the door, he's the shepherd. The thief, he tries to sneak in and climb over and come in some other way. But the one who comes through the door by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And to him... The gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own by name and leads them out. And when he has brought them all out, when he's brought out all his own, he goes before him and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they're not going to follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So verse seven, so Jesus again said to them. Okay, you don't get this? Let me put it another way. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the what? You see that? I'm the door. I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, he says it again. And if anyone enters by me... He will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only that he may have, uh, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. That's folly, all right? I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Then this is John. This is what he did in the book of Revelation. He mixes these metaphors. Jesus said, I am the door. And then he turns around in verse 11 and says, I am the good shepherd. 
Okay, so which is it? Are you the door or are you the shepherd? I'm both. I'm not only the door, but I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. The hireling just runs away when the wolves come. Not the good shepherd. So you come through Christ, or you don't come at all. So inside... This blessedness of having continually their robes washed so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. What city? It's the city that he's just been talking about. This new Jerusalem, new heaven, new earth. It's also a city, this new Jerusalem. That's what he's, he's been describing. But notice the second thing that he says, because he just doesn't leave that there. But then he says, this is who's inside. If you're inside, you're blessed. But verse 15, here's who's outside. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral. Outside are these, murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Everyone following a lie. Everyone following folly. That's who's outside. These are not Christians. These are not believers. They're outside. To be outside means, as we've already seen, where do these end up? They end up in the lake of fire. What is the lake of fire? It is hell. It is facing the wrath of God for all eternity. Don't picture this as if heaven's going to be this place where we are, and then there's all these sinners outside screaming and crying, oh, we want in, we want, that's not the picture here. It's just simply making a contrast. Who's safe? Those who have come the right way. Who's not safe? Those who refuse the right way. It's just making a simple contrast here. If you're outside, you're not okay. You're in grave trouble. Let me point this out. You see this list of sins? Every single one of these sins are forgivable now. Now. There's coming a point when that door closes. And you're shut up in this sin for all eternity. You read a list like that and you go, oh my gosh. Man, you know, if you've ever done any one of these things, does that mean you're disqualified? No, it's forgivable now. It's like when Paul addresses the Corinthians and he talks about how the immorality and all the stuff that was going on with them. And he says, and such were some of you. This is the way you used to be. But now you're washed. Now you're cleansed. Now you're no longer like that. These are forgivable now. They're forgivable now. Which is why I think in the big scheme of things, all of a sudden, after this blessedness, after this beatitude, the last beatitude of the book of Revelation, wham, here comes an invitation. Here comes an invitation. The invitation is, be the one inside. You don't have to be the one outside. You see it in verse 16? He starts by sort of giving his credentials here in a sense. And he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. This was written to these churches. You remember the seven churches in the book of Revelation? You remember them in the very beginning? It's written to them. Hang on. You guys, some of you guys are suffering. Some of, some of you churches, you're in, you're in trouble. But you got to hang on. And he says, I've sent my angel to testify to these things. This is the way he started the book. Go back and read the first part of chapter 1. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ, which he gave. This comes from him. This carries weight. This carries authority. This is his word. And he says, I've sent it. I've testified to these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. We've seen this. This came up in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. What is he saying? I am the Messiah. You, you want to know my credentials here? I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. I am the one that the Old Testament has pointed to. I am the son of David. That's me. The Jews would have got it immediately. He's claiming authority 
only reserved for God. You got it. Because He is God. Then He goes into this invitation, verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride. Who's the Spirit? Some have said it's the Spirit of the church. I don't believe that. I think it's the Holy Spirit. I think it's the Holy Spirit calling, wooing. You see, you would not have come to Christ unless the Spirit of God drew you to Christ. That's one of His ministries. He draws you to Christ. He causes the new birth. He causes you to be born again. He gives life. Without the working of the Spirit of God, no person becomes a Christian. No one. The Spirit is calling. What does that call look like? I think it starts sometimes. i tell you how it started with me. It started with a prick of conscience. I never used to think about Christ, and then all of a sudden I thought about Him. What I did think about Him was, you wouldn't want to know. But then all of a sudden I started to think, well, maybe this is true. Who was that? It was the Spirit of God. The darkness of your mind, the alienation in your mind of anything to do with God. And then all of a sudden you think about God. Who is that? It's the Spirit of God. And then it goes from that and it progresses and it progresses and it progresses. He calls. The old language that they used to use, and I love this old language, He woos you. It's the wooing of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride. So then who's the bride? The bride's the church. We've already seen that, right? The bride's the church. Now picture this. There is the Holy Spirit saying... Come! There is the church collectively as the redeemed people of God saying, Come! This should be our message to the world. You need to come to Christ. Because if you don't come to Christ, I don't care what kind of tax breaks you get. If you don't come to Christ... You have nothing. You want social justice? The Spirit's saying come. The church should be saying come to Christ. Then you will have social justice. You want to end the eels and all of the things that we're hollering about and clamoring about and fighting about and carrying on about? The Spirit's saying come to Christ. The church should be saying come to Christ. And God forgive us for our chasing what Paul talks about and warns Timothy and warns Titus over about chasing these foolish arguments and chasing genealogies and chasing divisions and chasing quarrels about the law. When what we should be doing is standing and as clear and as forceful as we can preaching the gospel and saying, come. You see it? The Spirit says come. The Bride says come. And then He says this, and let everyone who hears say come. Who's the one who hears? I would say probably that when you look in the Bible and see hearing, hearing always comes with the idea of obeying. It's not just hearing this book read and then you join in the chorus. No, I think you hear, you obey, you become Christian, you become part of the Bride. And then He says, let the one who is thirsty. You thirsty? You're thirsting after something more than what life's thrown at you? You're thirsting after something more? The only reason why you would even think there's something more, it goes back to that first call, it's the Holy Spirit. If He's not working in your heart, you don't think about these things. If He's not wooing, you're not thirsty. Not for righteousness, not for Christ. You're thirsty for what the world has. And he says, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life. Who is the water of life? It's Christ. But notice what he says. Take it without price. It's free. It's all of his grace and mercy. He saves you by his grace. You don't come to him and offer to him and bargain with him. You just come to him. and You say, here I am. I am so messed up. 
I am so messed up. You got to save me. Have mercy to me, a sinner. He issues this invitation. It's an invitation. And if you come to him, he's not going to say, Ah, gee, not you. No, 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 no. I meant those people over there. This wasn't meant for you. How did you hear this? You won't hear that at all. What you hear when you come to Christ, and what you'll find is a compassionate Savior who will save you, and save you to the uttermost. He doesn't issue an invitation without the intention of saving. And then... The last thing that he says in his conclusion is this in verse 18. is this promise. Well, actually connected with the invitations, this warning. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Wow, there were some plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, uh, uh, the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take his share away in the, uh, in the tree of life and uh, in the holy city which are described in this book. This, comes, this language comes straight out of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 2. Moses says, God warns Moses, you tell them don't add and don't take away from one thing I've commanded you. And then it unfolds throughout the rest of the book of, Revel- uh, the, the book of Deuteronomy. It's repeated again. Don't you add, don't you take away. There's blessings, there's cursing. I thought about this for a bit. Why would anyone want to add to this book? Why would you want to add to this book? I mean, if you're thinking of it in terms of, man, I really want some bad stuff to happen to this world. How could you add anything? How could you, how could you add anything to this? Total, complete devastation. Total, complete into everything. What do you add to that? I mean, we understand take away. And let me say this too, because some have said, well, you know, we'll never study the book of Revelation. Why? Well, it says don't you add or take away. This, this is not talking about trying to understand what's written here. It's not what it's talking about. It's talking about changing. It's talking about not having this high view of the Word of God. And does this apply to the whole Bible? I think it can apply to the whole Bible. Don't you mess with the Word of God. Don't you subtract from it. Don't you add to it. Don't you change it. Don't you say, well, it really doesn't say this. Try to understand it. Yes. Yes. But don't you change the message of it. Don't you change and say, well, Jesus is just a way. No, Jesus is the way. Oh, well, you're really not saved by the blood of Christ. You're saved by, no, it is the blood of Christ. You see, don't you add, don't you take away, don't you mess with this. There are people that do. There are people twisting the scripture right now. Cut on the news. Just last week, there was a news commentator who said something to this effect. Ah, Jesus doesn't judge. That's not the Jesus. He's not judgment. That's not trying to understand Scripture. That's adding and taking away Scripture. And so here comes the promise. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely, surely, truly, write it down. Take it to the bank. I am coming soon. Quickly. Now we've dealt with the language of near and, and this book talks about these things coming near and this occurs elsewhere in the book. I'm coming quickly, I'm coming soon. This promise that he makes, I'm coming soon. So, hang on. Hang on. I'm coming soon. And then notice what happens. Amen! Amen! And then there's this grand chorus of all of the redeemed people of God. 
Man, amen. And then we all join together and say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Can you imagine that? We all join together as the complete, redeemed people of God and say, we can't wait. Come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Then it ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. And the book ends. Simply ends. I think it ends with this grace. Paul uses this in, in the conclusion of his books. It's just a reminder that it's all of grace, right? It's all of grace. What do I need? I need God's grace. I need His grace every single day. It is all of grace. Salvation is all of grace. Living for Him is all of grace. Standing firm in the midst of this mess, it's all of grace. Without His grace, I don't stand. Without His grace, I don't have a hope. Without His grace, I don't have a prayer. I don't have a prayer. What is central to this book? And if we miss this, then we've missed the, 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 we've missed the message of the book of Revelation. It's not about signs and symbols, although that's there. It's not about trying to figure out dates and set dates and, you know, walk away and say, ah, and we know when it's going to happen. It's not about writing books and getting rich, making the talk show circuit. This book is about one thing. It's about the Lamb. It's about the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And in that opening, setting the stage of the rest of the book in chapters 4 and 5, who is worthy? And who steps forth? A lamb. A lamb. If you miss Christ in this book, you've missed the message of this book. If you walk away from this invitation and go about your business as usual and miss Christ, you've missed the purpose and message of this book. It's about Him. He's the center of it all. And understanding that, then we understand this is not our home. We just sang about it, didn't we? Why am I wasting time? Why am I wasting time in building and fretting over and worrying over? And Why am I wasting time in what's going to be destroyed? When I should be pursuing Christ. He's my treasure as a believer. And where my treasure is, my heart's going to be there. My heart's going to be there. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. You're going to get up to Mar. Guess what? You're marching to Zion. And you know the glory of heaven? Remember the glory of heaven? We're going to see Him face to face. It's a beautiful hymn. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face. What will it be? When with rapture I behold Him. Jesus Christ who died for me. Only faintly now I see Him with darkened veil between. But a blessed day is coming. When His glory shall be seen. What rejoicing in His presence. When are banished grief and pain. When the crooked ways are straightened. And the dark things shall be plain. Face to face. O blissful moment. Face to face. To see and know. Face to face with my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loves me so.
The only question here is what invitation have you accepted? We sing another wonderful hymn. Come, O sinner, come ye sinners. Right? That's the way this book closes. That's the way the Bible closes. Come, ye sinners. Helpless, ruined by the fall. Come to Christ. Don't you wait. Don't you wait thinking that somehow I've got to be fit. Don't wait. Don't linger. Because if you do, you will never come at all. You come now. There He is. Let's pray together. Father, what a book. We have labored to try to understand You said in the very beginning of this that there was a blessing in reading and there's a blessing in looking at this. There was a blessing in that. And it has been such a tremendous blessing. This book has been such a blessing and a comfort and a crazy upside down world. Because above it all is our sovereign Savior. Help us to see Him. And help us to stand firm and not bow the knee to this ungodly world. We pray for Your grace. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and say, Please get your hymnal and turn to page 433. I serve.